right. Well, welcome, welcome uh, to the crossing. Welcome to those who are watching online. If you didn't make it out of bed, couldn't come here physically, we're glad you still tuned in. Of course, to our West Henderson family, three years of being a location last week and to be a part of a, yeah, absolutely. To be part of a location myself, love to serve alongside you. And of course, to my 89102, my Midtown, miss you guys so much. Uh, it is baptism day at Midtown. We have our Treat Yourself truck out there, ice cream, balloons. We're having a blast. I hate that I'm not there, but I'm glad to hear with you guys as we conclude this series of separation of church and hate. And what a week it's been just in our city alone when it comes to politics. Felt like every politician in the world came into our city. Uh, one side was the rally, the other side was the debate and caucus. And so what a timely series that we're in and wrapping up in. And even other churches are peering into the sermon series, potentially do at their location, their place. And so really glad uh, to be concluding it. But some of you uh, just don't really care about politics and you're like, this has been fine and lovely, but let's move on to the next thing. And good for you. Next week is a brand new series that we're calling Chasing the Wind. And uh, Solomon, who's one of the wisest men who ever lived, didn't really listen to his own advice. So he's gonna tell us how to avoid the mistakes that he made. So you will not wanna miss it next week. In fact, I just encourage you to always show up to try to be there the very first week of a new series, kind of introduces the whole thing as we love lead up to Easter. So on your way out, uh, there are stools with baskets. Grab a handful of invites. We, we've made a thousand of them. So take them to your work and your family members post it online to show up next week. Uh, well, if you don't know me uh, or if you've been around the crossing, you know that I'm a huge Kentucky Wildcats basketball fan. I'm uh, born and raised in Lexington, Kentucky. It's basically a birthright to have a basketball in your hand when you uh, come into this world. And uh, we are the winningest program of all time. No big deal. Uh, so all UK, uh, UNC, Duke, UCLA, Lake Kansas fans, you all are trash compared to Kentucky Wildcats. Sorry to say it. I know I'm speaking the truth today. Calm down. Uh, but UNLV did beat uh, the number four team in the nation yesterday. Let's go for UNLV. Come on. Okay, we got shakers over there. It's fantastic. And you know, uh, Kentucky would destroy UNLV, but cute that you all beat uh, the number four team in the nation. I'm just kidding. But uh, this past December, Kentucky actually played at the T-Mobile Arena. This is that they knew I was here and couldn't make it to the game. So they showed up to my uh, town to watch them play. And so there was two games here on a Wednesday night and a Saturday. Here's my family. We decided to go to the, the games. I have two younger ones. They're being babysat somewhere, but we have all the merch. We love Kentucky basketball. And we were watching uh, the Saturday game against Ohio State. Ohio State was ranked fifth in the nation. We were ranked sixth at a time, a big game, nationally televised, T-Mobile Arena. I had family members and friends from Kentucky fly to Vegas to watch this game. And it was a blast, especially in a neutral court where a ton of Ohio State fans, a ton of UK fans, and every basket, every dunk, every three-point, everyone's just freaking out and, and cheering. But there was this one guy okay, Ohio State fan that just trash talked the whole time. And Kentucky was always behind the whole game. So got, there's nothing you can do about it. And his trash talk was pretty weak. He kept on saying, it's a man's game. That was his thing, okay? Like every little rebound was like, it's a man's game. Looking around to see if they heard it. I'm like, I hate you. And then they would dunk and they say, it's a man's game. We, they would go on a 10-0 run and we'd have to call timeout. Ohio State, State fans are freaking out. It's like, it's a man's game. I remember getting a Diet Coke. He got a regular Coke. He looked at me. It's a man's game. I'm like, get out of my life. Get out of here. 
Everything, it's a man's game. So just because of this one guy, this trash-talking knucklehead, I just hated all the other Ohio State fans. In fact, I'd associated with him with everyone else. And I just think Ohio State fans, they're just ignorant, prideful, trash-talking, no-class kind of people, okay? Uh, and especially because we got beat. And I hate losing more than I even love winning. And many of you probably understand that. And Ohio State fans, unfortunately, have this issue where their famous chant is where somebody yells, O-H, and other people say I oh and I just hope and pray that this election season no matter who wins that the state of Ohio's education program can be at such a place that they will learn how to spell Ohio without helping each other knowing how to do that it's four letters bless your heart and I remember that after this past service an Ohio State fan came to me and he looked at me and said it's the Ohio State I'm like exactly I hate you so anyway Ohio State fans you're impossible to work with, to be with. And that guy was impossible. In fact, what was hard is that being in an arena that afterwards you have to interact with each other, all these fans, UK and Ohio State fans. So like you go in the aisles, like who's gonna go first? You or me? Like me for sure. So I go up and you go down the escalators. I'm knocking people off the escalators. I get out of my way. I hate you. And then you go to the parking lot. There's the elevator, all Kentucky fans in there. I'm pressing the close button so no Ohio State fans could get in. That's got so bad, right? And that's what begins to happen whenever you have that frustration towards another person, start digging at their character. And not only do we do this when it comes to sporting events and your rivals, those teams, but also when it comes to politics, right? You have that one person who's a Democrat or Republican, they post something or have an opinion about an issue and you just paint the whole party a certain way because of that one person. This is what we call the fundamental attribution error, okay? Uh, there's a pastor in Georgia, Andy Stanley, he talks about this and the definition of this is the cognitive bias that causes us to attribute people's behavior to their character, that he or she will have an action or behavior, and we just think they have like an internal problem they have to deal with. It's a character issue. And basically it's because of how you're raised, uh, the experiences that you have, what people have said and done over the years. You just connect certain actions and behaviors with their character. So for instance, if you're in a meeting and somebody comes in late, your initial thought is they are a lazy, irresponsible, disorganized, disrespectful person, right? But if you're late to that same meeting, it is nothing like that, right? It's all environmental and social factors that played into it. Like for me, I have four kids and getting them out of the house and make sure my wife is okay and they're fed and they're dressed and everything's fine. It's that's why I'm running late because I'm so responsible with my priorities in my life. I'm such a good husband. That's why I'm running late, right? And so what happens is that when somebody votes for a Republican candidate instead of us thinking, oh, there must be an issue or opinion they have of how government sh should be run. That's nice of them. What we do instead is, no, Republicans are redneck, gun-loving evangelicals. They just start digging at their character. Or a Democrat, same thing. They vote for a Democrat candidate. They are just arrogant, tax-loving socialists, right? Or independents. They're vegan, conflict-avoiding hippies. I don't even know what... I had a friend after the, uh, have a friend in 2016 election, a Christian friend. He was hiking with a non-Christian friend. They were talking about politics and how much tension there was, the polarization in our country. And the non-Christian the whole time just assumed my friend was a Republican because he was an evangelical Christian and he's not. And that's what we end up doing, this cognitive bias that just happens, that just shows up in our life and start attacking each other's character, which then leads us to this choice that I feel like as Americans, we've been bullied and manipulated to believe that I either need to hold on to my political ideology strongly or 
there's a choice of having friendships and relationships that are strong. Like, if you don't agree with me politically, then we just can't be close friends. I'm sorry. We're just not be able to hang out. We just think there's a choice between one or the other, which then leads us to having a culture of contempt towards one another. Matthew Legg, he wrote this book called Are We Done Fighting? And he says that contempt comes from the Latin word contemptus, meaning scorn. Social scientists define contempt as, check this out, anger mixed with disgust. These two emotions form a toxic combination like ammonia mixed with bleach. He continues on. We don't have an anger problem in American politics. We have a contempt problem. If you listen to how people talk to each other in political life today, you notice it is with pure contempt. And then we all experience this. When somebody around you treats you with contempt, you never quite forget it, do you? So if we want to solve the problem of the polarization today, we have to solve the contempt problem. And then when we have contempt towards another person, we have that cognitive bias towards them, we find ourselves in this box. And when we're in a box towards a person or a people group, it's a distortion of how we think about them, how we act around this person. In this book called Leadership and Self-Deception, they say that by being in this box, typically when you feel threatened or betrayed or have contempt towards them, you view others as objects or as a threat, as an obstacle, that you, our needs and wants are greater than the others. And we consciously resist Others. And then what begins to happen when we're in this box, everything we do and say is just ineffective. I remember the Ohio State game, right? I mean, that one fan, because that one person, I painted the whole crowd, any Ohio State fans with anger, disgust. I treated them as obstacles and threats. If I got hurt, I wouldn't want you to touch me if you're an Ohio State fan. That's how big a problem I had, right? But then today, when I find somebody who posts something, and it is with strong character attacks or negativity. When I see that person in person, I put myself in this box and I view them as a threat or as an obstacle. I begin to resist them in my life. And we do this all the time, right? But in the box, living just removes us completely from truly loving. And I just think from all locations here in this room, and hopefully this doesn't offend you, but I just think we just have enough emotional intelligence to not be those people, right? That when it comes to a person's action or behavior, we don't paint them with the biased brush or the contempt brush. We have a choice to make. We either are inside the box towards people or people group, or we live outside the box. I mean, a few years ago, I had a conflict with another person and I thought I was doing the right thing. And of course they thought they were doing the right thing. And, and it began to kind of get more toxic as they were talking about me behind my back and people would come to me and say, hey, this is what they're saying. And, and it was really just frustrating and that conflict was building. And I had this moment of either being inside the box, viewing them as a threat or an obstacle, resisting them in my life, my needs are greater than theirs, or do I choose to be outside the box? And I had this thought, that if tragedy hit this person's life, I still wanted to be their pastor. And I still wanted this place to be their church, no matter what happens. And I let them know that, hey, I'm here for you. I know we're in conflict, but I just want to let you know, I love you and I'm here for you. I was trying to live outside the box. And when we do that, we view others as actual people with dreams and hopes and wants. Others' needs and wants are legitimate as ours. And people, don't you get the people sense our intentions and respond positively. 
And about a year later, we were able to reconcile our relationship because in the box living removes you completely from truly loving, but outside the box living leaves that door open to truly loving. But it is so much easier, isn't it, to be divided, to have that cognitive bias, to have contempt towards other people. It just is. It takes a lot of effort and energy and soul searching to stay united, to live outside the box and to force yourself not to be biased towards others. So what I'd like to do the rest of our time today is just talk to the Christians in the room. And if you're not a Christian or, or think we're weird or just peering into us, this is not for you. This is the, you're going to get the inside the game uh, scoop here of how to react and how to live outside the box in the midst of our climate, political climate. I'm just going to start with a question. And it's a question we've been asking just in different ways over this series. The question is, are you willing to follow Jesus, Christians in the room, when following Jesus creates space between you and your party? and your party's platform, and your party's candidate. What's amazing is that Jesus predicted we'd be in this situation right here, right now. He didn't predict the election. He predicted that the division and the contempt and inside the box living, we would find ourselves in with one another. And so we're going to be looking at John 17. In John 17, we look at Jesus having an amazing prayer that people call the high priestly prayer. It's really like a prayer request. And if you know Jesus' life, you know that he had the Passover meal with his disciples, which we did that earlier in our service today with communion, remembrance of what he's done for us. And then right after the Passover meal, he gets arrested, tried, and crucified. It goes really fast. There's a sliver of time, though. We get to peer into Jesus and what he has to say for us and to us before he heads to the cross. And wouldn't you like to know, if he had a prayer request, what his prayer request would be, right? Have you ever been in a prayer request circle before where somebody's praying for their grandmother, they're not doing well, or somebody's child is making a decision or unwise decisions, let's pray for them. Or there's somebody in the circle who doesn't have a prayer request and their life is perfect and you kind of hate them a little bit. So what if Jesus, though, was in this circle and he had his own prayer request? Let's see what he would pray to his heavenly father in this moment. He says this, I will remain in the world no longer. He keeps on telling his disciples, like, hey, I'm not going to be here much longer. Like, you're fine, Jesus. You're going to be with us for whatever. Like, no, no, I'm about to go, but they are still in the world. The disciples will still be here. And I am coming to you talking to his heavenly father. So, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be, and everyone in the room says, one, as we are, everyone, one, he knew, Jesus knew that his disciples were in the box living kind of guys. They were prejudiced and racist towards anyone that wasn't a Jewish male. And Jesus just knew if these guys could figure out how to love everybody the way I've been loving everyone and they could stay together as one, then big things can and will happen. He continues to pray, he says, prayer, my prayer is not for them alone, not just the disciples here. I pray also for those who believe in me. Guess who he's talking to? He's talking to you and he's talking to me. Anyone who's given their life over to Jesus and saying, you know what, living for you, what you have for me will make my life better, make me better at life. But my prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who believe me and through their message, through our story, that all of them, and what's the percentage of all everyone was percentage? 
Yeah, CCSD here. Let's go. Come on, pick it up. 100% everyone here and the, all the Christians. So what's all the Christians, 100% of us mean? Well, Christians who are Republicans, Christians who are Democrats, Christians who are independents, libertarians, librarians, black, white, brown, Irish, Polish, Hispanic, poor, wealthy, all Christians that all of us, all of them may be and everyone together, one. This is mission critical to all believers, to all the local church, that we will stay one. And this is so important because there's a sliver of time before Jesus goes and gets arrested, tried, and crucified. This one request, the last one he has, is for us to be one. And he knows it is not natural for us to be one. That we'll run to our political corners because of our experience and how we're raised, our wiring, our personalities, our opinions. But he says this thing is going to be so diverse. This church is going to be so diverse. You have to stay one. And this is the reason why he asks us to stay one. He says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that this is a purpose clause. That so that there's gonna be a reason why this is so important, not to do something for us, but to do something through us so that the world those outside these walls, outside the faith, that when they see our unity despite our diversity, when they see us being one despite our political beliefs, when the world sees our unity despite our socioeconomic, cultural, race background in the church, when they see our unity and us being one, the world may believe that you have sent me on this rescue mission. This is not an add-on to our Christian faith. This is the mission critical that somehow that we're able to be one and unified, even though we need to agree to disagree, we'll never see everything the same way. But by staying unified, this eventually got the attention of the Roman Empire in the first century and flipped that upside down. This then got the attention of the pagan world, flipped that world upside down. By staying one, everything begins to shift. What Jesus is saying is we can't sacrifice, come on, our unity for anything or anybody. It is mission critical. Jesus continues on and says, I have given them the glory that you have given me. This is talking to us. That they may be in everyone together, one, as we are everyone together, one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. This is so huge. Then the world will know. This is my favorite part. When this happens, when we're one, as diverse as we can be, when this happens, the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Huge, right? In the unique way of how we love each other, even though we're nothing like one another, the world will know that we are his disciples, we are his followers, and how much our Heavenly Father loves them. And I just think here at the crossing, and I'm being a little biased here, but I just think we do a really good job at this, of staying one despite all of our diversity and all our opinions. Like a few weeks ago, we had our Night to Shine event in this very room. And it was an incredible night where, I mean, Republicans and Democrats and independents, those of different race, everyone came together to throw a giant party to crown king and queen, those who are cognitive and physical disabilities. It was amazing. It was a beautiful night. If you were there, you knew how special it was. But that wasn't just it. And Jesus knew that, that when we come together and do something special, the world sees that. So the next uh, two days later, here on a Sunday, we had our Discover experience. And Scott shared that today about Discovers, those who are new to the crossing. And a staff member asked, hey, this was your first Sunday. How did you hear about the crossing? And they said, well, we came tonight to shine 
And it was so amazing. It was so special. The volunteers and how everyone came together, it was so amazing. We had to come on a Sunday to see it for ourselves. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That's what begins to happen when we do things as one. Or I'm reminded of last year when the Midtown location building deadline kept on getting pushed back. So our team came together and we thought, what can we do for the community during this time where we don't have a building? And Halloween was coming up and all the elementary schools were doing their Halloween events or fundraisers. So we decided to call up Vegas Verde, who's just really close uh, to our Midtown location to ask if we could help. And they loved that we were able to help out. We built games. We had tons of volunteers, people dressing up as Genie from Aladdin. We had our Treat Yourself truck over there. People wore the Midtown shirts, people from different locations, Democrats, Republicans, Independents, all different kinds of diversity, all came together and loved on these kids and loved on these families. But that's not it. When we come together as one, the world notices. So last week, I get an email from the librarian of this school, Vegas Verde. And the first week of March is reading week in here in Las Vegas for kids. They asked us to come to their school to read to their kids and to decorate this stage because they just thought we were so great at helping with our Halloween event. They want our help too. When the school system, come on, is calling us for help, then as diverse as we are, when we do something together as one, the world will know everything. Everything rides on unity. It doesn't ride on politics. It doesn't ride on culture or language, how we do baptism, how we do communion, with the songs that we sing. And if we stay together as one, the world changes. Shane, a few weeks ago, he shared about how the first century, how prejudice, how much the injustice there was towards women, towards the sick, those who weren't Jewish, the, the children. And it was the Christians who came together as one, loved everyone the same way Jesus would love them. And the world shifted. There's mercy. There's justice. See, your political candidate will win or lose based on how Americans vote on a Tuesday, November. But the church will win or lose based on how we treat each other every day between now and then. So we must not sacrifice our unity for anything or anybody at all. So when you find yourself in the box towards the Republican Party or Democratic Party, when you start feeling like your needs are greater than others, you start to resist other people, you see them as objects or threats, what do you do? Will you sacrifice your personal wants of what Jesus wants? And what does he want? He wants us to be one. He wants us to be unified. So when you're about to post something, when you want to repost something, when you want to comment and dig at somebody's character, just pause for a moment and say, is this going to divide or unify? Is this what Jesus wants of me right now? If there's a candidate out there, if there's an issue or there's a person that's just bugging you to death and putting you in that box every time they open their mouth, pause, allow God to use you to live outside the box, to be able to truly love. And be, when we do this, when we live outside the box, what divides us diminishes and what unites us will surface. Let's stay united. Let's stay one and watch the world recognize just how much Jesus loves them. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this whole past four weeks, the fact that we can be at a place and a church to talk openly about these
topics, even say Democrat and Republican and independent, how we treat one another. Lord, I pray that in this place, those who can hear my voice will understand just how important, how mission critical it is to stay as one. That how we present ourselves and the opinions that we give out on social media and, and those types of moments that we just pause for a second and have that conversation with you. Look, what is it you want right now in this moment? How do I respond? How do I react? Lord, I pray for those right now this week who may through all the television stuff are just tired of these things. Lord, I pray that we, as being one, recognize that there's more important thing than American politics. There's a kingdom that you want to advance and it is mission critical that we stay together. And I think when we do that, the world will know just how much you love them. We pray these things in your name. And everyone said, amen. Well, before we conclude this series, I just have uh, three questions and we'll be done. First question is a reminder of what we've talked about already. Are you willing to place your faith filter ahead of your political filter? Are you willing to place the unity of the church ahead of a candidate or political party? And are you willing to follow Jesus when following Jesus creates space between you, your party, your party's platform, party's candidate? And I think if it's yes to all those questions in the church, we can be the lead of how we treat each other with civility, with dignity, humility, and even unity.